This is Coda Radio, episode 166 for August 10th, 2015. everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host who manages to somehow always be established on the East Coast. Why, yes, folks, it's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Mike. Chris, I am excited today. Are you really? I got some wonderful news. You know, I've been having some bad luck recently. Uh, yeah, um, a stretch, you might say. A Nigerian prince contacted, I, I swear, contacted me via email this morning. Oh, okay. He wants to start a business with me, and all he needs is a routing number and an account number. This could be a good opportunity. I, I think this is great. I think this is definitely the direction I want my life to go. In. Maybe like a, uh, you could, maybe you could use some uh, some of this as like a way to seed a new project, if you will, right? Right, right. So like he needs like $100 seed capital. That's not bad. Yeah, I'm really eager to do this. What you ought to do, since this is coming through, is go get like a new car and then get like a little cash back on the loan. Just put it on the loan. Just work into the payments because you're going to have no problem paying that once you get this money to come through. Even better. Yeah. You- I'd love it. There you go. There you go. Well, Mr. Dominic, before you jump into that, I have a couple of things uh, to throw your way. Microsoft, uh, <clears throat> wow, I don't know. I don't know if this uh, completely countermands everything you said last week or actually double da- doubles down on it. Uh, I'm going to be curious to take your to get your take on uh, Microsoft's big release uh, this week. Then also, um, we don't often get into the world of design and start to getting like really, you know, all Johnny Ive on us. But uh, listen, we have got to talk about the hamburger menu just for a little bit. We've got oh, to we go. we've, we've got to do this, and I've got a great post I'm going to link people to. Uh, and then last but not least, there is a topic sent in by the subreddit that uh, we want to chew on. And then uh, we also have some great feedback, including a, what looks like a really great book recommendation. So uh, really good episode, uh, 166. Lucky 166, right, Mike? Isn't that, isn't that how that works? Sounds lucky to me, man. You get one lucky episode in your whole run, and it's 166. So here we are, everybody. Let's enjoy it. Let's let's embrace it. Let's start with this Microsoft news. Microsoft is open sourcing most of its iOS apps on Windows compatibility layer. You know, uh, pri- Project um, uh, Islandwood, I guess is what it's being called, and it's now up on GitHub. Uh, so after this was announced, and now here we are actually seeing it, uh, it's a uh, it's a set of libraries and de- development tools that are together are together yeah are combined Project Islandwood yeah there it is Microsoft announced today that large parts of Project Islandwood are now being open source the first code released is available on GitHub right now it's being published by the way under the MIT license Islandwood has a few components and only some of them are being released as open source the entire Islandwood stack has four parts an Objective C compiler an Objective C runtime iOS libraries providing Windows-based implementation of iOS APIs and Visual Studio integration. The middle two, the Objective-C runtime um, and the uh, the iOS API implementation, that's what's being released as open source. So uh, obviously the Visual Studio integration not being uh, and the uh, the Objective-C compiler is not being open sourced. Um, What do you think, Mike? So... uh, 
So that Irish Technica says here, this means that Objective-C developers will be able to use the WinRT API framework that made its debut in Windows 8, uh, and then I guess crap out Objective-C uh, ports. Okay. The big I mean, part... I can, all, I, I can also take this Nigerian prince up on its deal. <laughs> they say the big part that's not being released as open source is the hybrid compiler used to build the Islandwood applications. Um... It's an early state. It includes example portions of a, U- of a UI kit library used for building iOS interfaces, parts of Quartz Core used for animation, and pieces of Core Audio, audio framework. They say that Microsoft intends to build out Island Word more. Um, yeah, I don't... I don't, I don't hmm. Now, last week, you were thinking that .NET has a pretty good future as it goes more open, and people are looking for something that becomes stable and true with a big company behind it. Does this sort of does this sort of muddy Microsoft's vision here? Does it does it change that a little bit? This is what I wonder, Mike. It's confusing, right? It's definitely confusing. I mean, as someone who you know who could potentially be asked, well, all the time as to pick platforms, you know, what are you going to do this project on? I don't know. I guess I don't understand why they would want an Objective C runtime at all. I think it's because they want maybe... I think they're hoping people will use their tools to develop iOS apps. But if your only target is iOS, why wouldn't you just do it in Objective-C or, God forbid, Swift? So maybe this is... I mean, we've got to remember Microsoft's big customer base. The enterprise, really. I mean, businesses. Right. Um, I mean, maybe this is them saying, okay, businesses, now you can write a, an application for uh, a modern UI... And iOS. And because we know a lot of people are, are BYOD, but Surface tablets are doing pretty well in enterprise. Windows is still doing well in enterprise, but people are bringing iPads. Is that maybe it's that? All this fu- would they go? But they wouldn't go to all this fuss. They wouldn't go to the open sourcing if it was just for business, would they? Wouldn't they just sell it as a product that they would just make money from? By open sourcing it, aren't they asking for a broader adoption? I think they're just trying to make Microsoft tools more attractive. I don't think it's like, like I wouldn't think that this, you know, this Objective C thing is going to be, you know, a major notch in the tool belt for a Microsoft developer, right? I mean, this isn't as this isn't nearly as substantial as the partnership with Xamarin. Or, well, this is what I'm trying to. So here's what I'm trying to figure out: Is it to me? It seems like this could be even maybe trying to eat a little Xamarin's lunch. But B, it also it could be just nothing other than Microsoft says now when we create developer tools that we want people to take seriously, open sourcing as much of it as possible is just what you do to be competitive, and that's just what they're doing now. They just look at it as another competitive aspect of a Microsoft product. Could it be just as simple as that? Yeah, I mean, development tools that are proprietary aren't doing well in the market right now, right? Well, I don't know. Xcode seems to be doing pretty well. That's true. I mean, that's very... And Visual Studio, Visual Studio still does well. Also true. I don't know. This move just doesn't make sense to me, because I'm trying to figure out... You're not, you know, you're not going to lure Objective-C developers to go use Visual Studio and work on your runtime, right? Um, especially with the whole Swift thing, knocking at their door and being like, hey, you could become obsolete. Or not really, but you could seem obsolete, right, if you don't jump on the Swift bandwagon. Um, you know, I, maybe maybe I'm not understanding it, Chris. Maybe you can pitch it to me. Why, why should I care about this? 
Yeah, I don't actually quite understand it. Um, right. And I feel like, like there's no there, there's nothing just like in the last year that I've been asked to do that I think that this would either help me get under budget or even well, help me do other than just whipping out Xcode and being like, okay, well, I'm going to do this in Objective-C. See, by, by not releasing the compiler, that's the, that's why I'm not, that's the part that makes this not quite clear to me. So, okay. Uh, so what they, what they are is the Objective-C runtime and the iOS API implementations. That's what's being released as open source. What's not being released as open source is the compiler or a lot of the uh, Visual Studio integration. So you're going to get libraries and a runtime. Um, I mean, which is substantial, but again, why do I care? But without, I mean, somebody, but, but without the compiler, am I forced to use their runtime? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I, because it's open source, you could do a white room reimplementation of it. But still being forced to their compiler, it, it, it seems like you're, it's not a complete solution. I see. I don't even think that's like the problem they're trying to solve. I don't know. So, so is it possible? That you can you commingle this Microsoft Objective C with other .NET tools like Xamarin? Probably, technically, you could. Where that might make sense, right? Where you know what, this is just a pain in the ass to do in Xamarin. Let me try to yeah. do it with yeah. the native API. Yeah. yeah. Although Xamarin has a pretty okay solution for that already. That kind of sort of works. So uh, Ars Technica concludes by saying a stable release of Islandwood and its Visual Studio integration is currently planned for the fall. At around the same time, Microsoft intends to release a public beta of Project Astoria, a system for running Android applications on Windows Mobile. I want to say that again. Microsoft intends to release a public beta of Project Astoria. In this, this is in the fall. A system for running Android applications on Windows Mobile. Wow. And Project Centennial, a system for packaging existing Windows 32 applications as app v virtualization, so that way they can be distributed and uploaded to the Win- Windows Store. That will enter ba- public beta next year. Project Westme- Westminster, what used for packaging web apps for promotions through the store, is available now. So, right, so, so this is just another take the app you already wrote or you yeah. are writing for iOS and put it to Microsoft. That makes more sense, right? Because yes. then you can make the argument of, you know what, man, there's this whole other market. It's right. gonna, we can literally cross-compile this thing where it takes you maybe a day to do the differences, hopefully. I say on their GitHub page, Windows Bridge for iOS, also referred to as WinObjective-C, is Microsoft's open-source project that provides an Objective-C development environment for Visual Studio and Windows. In addition, Objective-C provides support for iOS API compatibility. Okay, so this is basically BlackBerry can now run Android apps. I mean, not, not to be a tool, but like you could develop BlackBerry using the Android SDK. Is this, uh, wow, what's this going to do to the Windows Store? Nothing. I don't know. I mean, why? I'm just, just wow. Wow. I mean, this, uh, are, this, is, this is really interesting. Are you thinking that there's going to be like a, a whole crowd of Objective C developers who just go ahead and throw their app up on the Windows Store? Uh, no, 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 no. I'm not exactly sure. That's a great question. How will that play out? Will it be developers just doing a quick and dirty port for people that have been clamoring for an app that hasn't been available on Windows Phone for a long time? Is that what you're thinking? Then you have to, have to, like, support those people, and you have to buy Windows Phone. You could go the Instapaper route. You know where you go through a third. Remember how? Remember how Marco did? Is he had a third party company take over? You could already have done that. (laughs) This doesn't. That's this true. only makes that cheaper. Yeah, it, well, it makes it a lot cheaper, though. 
Yeah, but if you're going to partner with a third-party company and do it as like a rev share, you don't care. Yeah, you're not you going to make I mean? any money either on the Windows right. Store. I mean, you know, people come to me, oh, let's be partners, let's do an app idea, let's do, you know, that almost never makes sense, right? Seems like a slam dunk in the enterprise, though, if you're writing internal apps. I, I Trust me, there are not many enterprise Objective-C developers working inside of companies. No, exactly, right? I mean... Uh, but the, the whole point is to write an Objective-C. Right, but but there are... Uh, but, yeah, but you can't deny the fact, I mean, you can just look at the numbers, especially now with IBM in the game. There are way, way, way more iOS devices in the enterprise than, like, uh, let's see, iOS enterprise adoption rate. It's something nuts. It's no, it's like, not. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's, like, ridiculously high. Uh, My so question that, is... So that means they, that means they must be that, but 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 that means they must be hiring iOS developers now. Um, mm, I I really don't think so. I think they're hiring like Cordova, or PhoneGap, really, uh, maybe Xamarin. Yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot of native iOS development going on. Seventy-two percent mobile adoption, ninety percent of tablets, ninety-five percent of apps and business created for iOS internally. That's a, that's a ridiculous number. Uh, that's not- I mean, the real story here to me, just on those figures, is how the hell has Samsung or HTC not managed to like make deals with companies and get these tablets in? Android has a twenty-five percent market share. So, so right now, uh, let's see here. Uh, iOS accounted for sixty-nine percent of enterprise activations for the previous quarter. I'm looking at the, this year's data, and Android accounted for twenty-five percent from the numbers for tablets. And the Windows phones fitting in the rest there. So there's significantly more iOS tablets in the market than there are Android or Windows tablets in businesses. Now, that could be mixing up with Surface, and those numbers right. are as current of last quarter. Um, but uh, So i got to imagine those businesses are hiring iOS you, uh, developers now, but they still have a crap ton of Windows machines. Crap ton. So I, this is a, I think Microsoft, in this case, is skating to where the puck is going to be. I think they're ahead of the curve here, and they realize that they have a good fold. They might have a good product here, and when, when people start to realize what's going on, and they've got a bunch of stuff they've already created for iOS, they don't want that to all of a sudden be the big barrier to switching to the Surface or something like that. And so now they've created this bridge to make it possible to move that stuff over. So now they don't have, you know, you're not all these, you're not investing in all these, all this app development over here. I'm not sure I buy it. it. Could be it. That could be it. And if that's it, I think that's clever. If that's what they're doing, I think it's cunning. I think it's them thinking ahead. And if it's not that, if they're hoping that, that – I don't know if it's not that. I'm, I'm not quite sure I'm grokking it. At least that seems like it's got to be part of it. But usually – you know what, Mike? And I'd love to get the audience's feedback on this because we have people that follow this stuff specifically close to Microsoft. We have people that listen to the show at Microsoft. Right. Um, I'd like to know. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and choose Quota Radio from the drop down because – one of the things I've noticed watching Microsoft over the years is they usually have about three or four reasons for every major decision they make. And so usually one or two is apparent, but if you follow them closely enough, you can, if you're a close enough observer, the other ones are more obvious to you. And so there's usually not one reason Microsoft does any singular thing, right. and that's why there can be a several different theories because usually they're all right. You just happen which one you nailed in on. I mean, I would really like to see, you know, perhaps in the audience, what percentage of enterprises were actually employing native iOS developers. Yeah, well, that'd be a good thing to get insight from as well. I just don't think it's true. It's got to be happening. It's Even if it's not like major now, it's got to be. At the, at the numbers that they've been at consistently now, and that deal with IBM is paying dividends. That could be a game changer, but... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. 
I mean, things take a long time in the Enterprise too, right? So it yeah, might... but, yeah, but Mike, the iPad's been around for a while now. But are all those apps native, or are they web-based? Well, that's a good question. That's the thing. I, I really think they're HTML-based. I, I, actually, I actually think most of them are ActiveX-based, and that's one of the reasons why the Surface tablet's got a, got, a, uh, got a foot in the door immediately. I both hope and pray that that is not true. <laughs> all right, but we should move on. Okay, yeah. I know it's an iOS and Apple. Oh, I mean, boy. I, and if know. we spend any time talking about Microsoft, all we do is get hate. We need to go yeah, back Especially, to, like, together, we, Apple and Microsoft. We could yeah. talk about watches. No, actually, we have a pretty good topic sent in uh, by the subreddit that I want to get to in just a moment. So first, Boom. let's thank DigitalOcean for sponsor here on the Coda Radio program this week. DigitalOcean is like slick, man. It could be your secret weapon, and we've got a promo code for you of ultimate knowledge, power, and authority. It's Coder Digital. Coder Digital will give you a $10 credit so you can try out DigitalOcean's $5 rig two months absolutely free. Let me tell you about DigitalOcean. They're a simple cloud hosting provider that's dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own rig. Oh, man. And it is fast. You can get started in probably less than 55 seconds. And the pricing plan started only $5 a month for the entire month. You get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. And these are really great systems with phenomenal connections, phenomenal speed, and really, really great uh, methodologies to deploy software on them. I mean, the, it's not just 55 seconds to get up and going. Everything about DigitalOcean saves you time. For example, they have a lot of regions you can choose from, so that way your connection to them is nice and quick. They have data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, and Germany. But the interface also keeps things nice and quick. It's not watered down. It's still extremely powerful, but it's intuitive. It's well-designed. We're going to talk about design a little bit later in the show. And this is an example of something that's a very complicated topic. Spinning up virtual servers in data centers all over the world and deploying applications in containers and doing backups and managing DNS. These are not simple tasks. And yet, if you've never done it before or if you've done it for 15 years, DigitalOcean makes it intuitive and powerful. But even better, and I know this is great for our audience, they have an API. That API allows you to replicate their functionality on a wider scale, and there's a lot of good apps that already do that. Some good open code out there you can go get some examples from. Easy ways to snap it into your management infrastructure, everything from some bash scripts to Puppet, Chef, all of that stuff. I control my droplets from my smartphone. It's slick. There's lots of apps to do that. Just go search your local app store. Because the API is so great, there's some really well-done applications. Just remember, use the promo code CODERDIGITAL, and you'll get a $10 credit. You can apply that at any time, and you can try out a DigitalOcean rig, Two months for free, that $5 way. And, and by the way, their pricing is really, really straightforward. Uh, I have the $10 a month rig from my Minecraft machine. It's great. It's great. It, uh, my son, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big Minecrafter. But my son is ridiculous. And he's like, Dad, you want to know something? I'm like, yeah, what is it? He's like, when I watch YouTube videos and they explode a whole bunch of TNT, their servers lag so bad. I'm like, oh, yeah? He's like, our server, it never lags. It never lags, Dad. And I blow up a lot of TNT. And I, I, from what I'm told, that's a big deal because apparently that happens a lot in Minecraft, but not with our DigitalOcean server. No, it just keeps on hauling. It never misses a beat. And with those snapshots, if he, makes, if he blows up the wrong thing, Daddy can save the day. It's also great for Mumble and OwnCloud and all those kinds of things we use it here for. It's really cool. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. DigitalOcean.com. Coder Digital. Thanks, guys. Okay, Mike. So our topic comes in from Asterix 2A. 
And he says, I just came across one of the Hanselman podcasts, and they were given uh, some additional resources to drive into system thinking. And he says, it's a suggestion for us. System thinking, not just code monkeys. When you use Google and Amazon, you're presented with lots of book choices. Can you or somebody else here help with a book recommendation? And then he comes in with with a question. Uh, related to systems thinking, developers' role in holistic sense of shaping the futures to come. To quote Jeff Harbin, Harbinbeck, or however you say his name, the best minds of our generation are thinking about how to make people click ads, and that sucks. In other words, sometimes some of the best minds are thinking about the wrong things. But if people think about when they're building software, how they can maybe even change the future a little bit. Uh, and I really like the Silver Knight 7, which got me thinking, and I'll, I'll pick up from here. He says, I haven't looked into this as far as software development. However, in the hardware field... There are basically two types of techs, those that look at a unit and replace the part that went bad, and those that look deeper to find why that part went bad. The first I tend to categorize as a hardware monkey, and the latter I would classify more as an engineer. He says, I would assume it would have a similar paradigm with software development. Some look at the whole stack and know exactly how it works and operates, where others are only interested in one specific area and could care less about how it works, just that it works. You agree with that, Mike? Mm, it's a little judgy, right? But uh, from okay, so here's how I was thinking in my in my context. Uh, there's um, <clears throat> in, in in when you're working on when you're working on 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 customers' networks, you know, there's solving like a, a, a like the computer is slow problem, and figuring out why the why the network is slow to save to the file server, and then there is figuring out the business need and the reason for the file server, and really understanding that that's going to scale to where the business is going. And those are two different types of technicians. And one, one is able to speak to the business requirement for the technology and understand where the business requirement's driving the need for the technology to go. And the, <coughs> and the other is really only capable of solving the, the current situation, maybe. More, more, of, a, more of a troubleshoot and fix. Uh, is there a parallel, do you think, in software? Like, as a, as a, do you have to sometimes come in and look, think about more about the, where the business is going than just, just what that feature requirement is? Or is it software, does it not relate quite the same? Um, you know, I, I feel like the problems aren't, like, deep engineering problems a lot of the time. It's more, mm. you know, it's always scope management, right? It's always... That sounds really boring. It is boring, right? It, you, no one blogs about, oh, there was some vagary in our spec doc. The client was unhappy because they thought they were getting more than they paid for. We were unhappy because we lost money on the project. So we made a deal, and we broke even, and, we're not, and now we're not working with the client anymore. It doesn't sound like, that doesn't make you sound like a rock star. Right. That's not, like, fun, right? That's not exciting. You know, no one's going to go to a conference and show a slideshow of, like, and this is how we did an offer to to work on it. You know, and this is how next time when we got a request like that, we detailed very plainly, you know, all of the potential things that go into that. Um, very, very boring stuff. Um, you know, you talked about the enterprise compatibility of systems, right? Well, how do these Android or iOS devices work with our Exchange server? Not again. Not really something we're going to be blocking about anytime soon. Um, did I mention stakeholders? <laughs> no, but really, it's you know, it's really easy to come in and say, "Oh, this was crap. This was done wrong. Whatever." You know, this whole system's garbage. But it's again the remember that 
the system was built at a certain time under certain constraints. And those constraints may have been a really bad relationship with, with either the manager of the project or, or if it's a contracting thing, the client. Um, it may have been a client who felt that they were entitled to more work than they deserved. It may have been a manager who, despite you know objections from his development team, went upstairs and made crazy promises to the executives, right? And we've all heard these horror stories. Uh, those seem to be the more common problems. Those kind of you know technical slash stakeholder interface uh, junctions. Yeah, yeah, I, I follow. And and being able to manage that and understand that and and navigate that is some, probably the difference between a lot of different types of developers. You know, really, like no no one cares how awesome your implementation is if you don't get the demo out the day you said you'd get the demo out, right? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Again, not not a great thing for a conference. No one's going to write an awesome, you know, hit blog about it because it's boring, right? Developers don't really want to deal with those problems. Let's talk about a little design. This also came in from the subreddit, hmm. coderadio.reddit.com. And, and it's about the hamburger menu. It doesn't work. It's so it. lazy. It's so when I the first time I saw it, I was like, "Oh, really? This is what we're doing now? This is what we came up with." You guys know it. You know it. It's the three little lines up in the corner that they stick everything underneath. Like in Chrome now, it's like uh, it's got menus. Uh, look at this. Look at this. Three freaking sub menus long under the hamburger menu here. That is ridiculous. Look at that. That is crazy. So, anyways, the hamburger menu. You know it. You love it. Uh, it looks roughly like a meat. And bun meat and bun sandwich. The idea behind the hamburger menu is that you can use it to hide site navigation on smaller screens. Show it only when the user clicks the icon. Uh, so yeah, it seemed like a pretty brilliant solution. It was rapidly adopted and remains so beloved by digital designers that many it's everywhere now. It's freaking everywhere yep. now. Uh, and that's really a bad thing, I think. Um, this hamburger menu is made of mystery meat. As uh, he puts it here, let's see. Oh, we got we got a little video here, Mike. I'm gonna roll oh, the God. dice. Little uh, little. Uh, little YouTube roulette here on Coda Radio and see what we get. It's, this could be a disaster. Wait, nothing's happening. This is Vincent Flanders of web pages that suck. Oh, hi. And you are looking at the archetype of mystery meat navigation. This is the old website for Mandarina Duck. And you mouse over these blocks. This, and this is, is for images. This is company, products, Links, stores. So, basically, there's no way to find these again. You just have to guess, and it's really a waste of everyone's time to try to guess. This is not the type of navigation you want to have on your website. So what it is, it's a bunch of floating blocks that move around, and the menu comes down when you mouse over them. That's actually a pretty good demonstration. You have no idea what's in the hamburger menu. We have no idea what's in there. Uh, so this guy goes on to say that the hamburger menu smells like nothing. When you are intimately aware of the underlying architecture of a website, it's easy to forget that the user has no idea about it. This comes out seemingly harmless in conversations like, say this, here's the client. What if the user wants to see the pricing? Designer. Oh, they can just click the menu icon and then click the pricing. That's easy. Sounds totally reasonable. But the designer here is erroneously assuming that the user knows what, in the, what is in the menu and he or she will actively pursue it. This is exactly my point. This is my point I have with gesture-based UIs like in Windows and in Ubuntu Touch and in hamburger menus. 
See, and this is really hard for us to communicate to our audience because our audience is the exact type of people that click on menus to see what's in there. They're the type of people that will swipe from the edge to see what comes up. But most users, A, don't even know to do that, and B, are scared or don't want to do it. They don't poke around to find the menu options. They don't poke around to find the gesture. Uh, and this is a, I, 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 this is a big part. Uh, they say the hamburger menu is, I, icon is basically uh, a moth ladder. What was the last one? Oh, yeah. A ladder to help moths escape from the bath. <laughs> How was that useful? How's that not useful? <laughs> moths don't get stuck in baths. Yes, they do. <laughs> Even if that were... And they also say the hamburger menu is consistently disappointing. Like on the Facebook mobile app, the uh, example of, the, of, 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 of this... Oh, man, don't I agree. Uh, where they had the hamburger icon for a long time, it came up, and then it would just disappear at other times. Uh, Google Analytics, same thing. A lot of stuff. Chrome does it. He's got great examples in here of great UI options that have been like websites, like NBC News now have it. The highest profile case of hamburger failure came from NBC News, who got so excited on the, about this hot trend, at least for 2014, that it used on their top site and built the triumph of mobile-first design, they say. That's what they did to make a mobile first. And then you had to go. They had to do, because nobody knew how to use it, they had to do a full-page overlay to help users understand how to use their simple menu because it was so simple. They had to have drawings with arrows. People still weren't, click, people still weren't clicking the hamburger menu, though. So it was a last-ditch attempt to solve the problem. They made it yellow so that way people would try to see it. They finally gave up. And they redesigned the navigation to a more traditional horizontal menu style, which has worked well for them and remains the same basic one they use today. <laughs> All right. Well, clearly whenever you have, like, an overlay with arrows, something has gone just really, really wrong. I think it's a, desi- it's, it's, it's a designer's dream. Just take all this stuff you don't like and stuff it in here. Well, I think it is exceptionally lazy on the web, right? In mobile apps, I think it makes a lot more sense because you're limited just in real estate. And there's so much stuff in an app that you really, most users are never going to care about, yeah. right? Like turning off their settings, and in fact, stuff you probably want to bury, to be honest with you. Um, I don't hate the hamburger menu. I'm much less passionate about this than you. <laughs> I think it's a little silly on the web, but really don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, in fact, I think sometimes it makes sense. Mm, I think it's. I think when you see a hamburger menu, you've lost. But that's just my opinion. I, I think there's maybe. I'm trying to think of a single use case where I like it, and I, I don't like it in the web browsers. I mean, I guess it's weird as whatever. It's fine. It's just I wish. Uh, I, I I it felt. It feels like a comparable. You know what? Here's what. Oh man, this is what it is. Is when it first started hitting the desktop and the web, and it made it to desktop applications like Firefox and Chrome. It felt like the first big compromise we made for mobile making its way back to desktop and compromising the desktop UI, mostly just because it's what we do on mobile and not because it really enhances usability on the desktop. And I think that was my first resentment for the hamburger menu showing up on the desktop. And then I realized the reason they're doing it is because they can't think of a better idea. And I just kind of resent that, too. Oh, you're you're a toughie. I mean... It is not a great option on the desktop. But I don't know, man. It, it's never, like, bothered me. I've never gone to a website and... Can you do me a favor? 
You will you be mindful of your hamburger menu usage for the next couple of weeks in the report? I I just be mindful of it, okay? I will be mindful. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that because I think we got to get to the bottom of this. Because in my opinion, it is. uh, I think we're going to look back. You know, like uh, you know how you look back at like old photos of like you know from the eighties, and you're like, oh my gosh, look at look at look at look at mom's hair. That was crazy. You know, I look back at me and I go, oh my god, look at that bowl cut. That was really bad. Uh, Anyways. Uh, I think we'll look back at software designed from this era and go, oh, yeah, the hamburger menu. Man, that was tacky. I think it's exactly what was, that was tacky. I hope. I don't think it's going to be a while. We're not through it yet. But I think we'll look back at it. It's going to be one of those, uh, like, uh, it'll, be like the, it'll be like we'll recognize it as like a mobile era, like the, where, where mobile came back and like influenced some stuff. And it wasn't for the better. Like you see this in design a lot, like in ve- vehicle design and stuff like that. You mark my words. You mark my words. I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you right now. That's how it's going to happen. You know what else is going to happen? Linux Academy. Why don't you go there right now? LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. That supports the Coder Radio program and gets you a Coder Radio discount to that good old Linux Academy. And, man, this is a great fit for our audience because, you know, look, Coder Radio, it's not always the prettiest program out there. I mean, we try. Uh, Mike puts on a nice pair of lipstick. You know, I, I try to do my hair for you. You guys know that. We love you. We've got a good relationship. We've got a good foundation, a trust Good communication, but you know maybe we got a few hairs where we shouldn't. Maybe uh, a roll where we shouldn't. But you guys love us because we're genuine, right? We're ge- we love. We're passionate. We're here. We're reporting from the trenches, and that's what I love about Linux Academy. They're genuine too, and I, that kind of inspires me because you know, they've been able to do a better job than I have. I'm a little jelly. Like they've managed to take real passionate people in open source and Linux. They've taken educators, developers, and they've really created a platform. Something really kind of amazing to help educate people in a space that's. If you don't follow it closely like they do, you really can't do it justice. And a lot of the online education places try to, but the fact of the matter is for them, it just ends up being a feature. It's a checkbox for them. Yeah, we got the Linux stuff. Yeah, we got the Nginx stuff. Yeah, we got the Android stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. OpenStack. Yeah, yeah, we got lots of courses on OpenStack. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's not totally up to date, but yeah, we got lots of stuff on OpenStack. Oh, you're doing the Red Hat stuff. Oh, you want to try to get the new one? Uh, yeah, we'll have that pretty soon. Yeah, but you can get the old stuff and then just take the new stuff and just kind of catch up. It's no big deal. Yeah, they don't care as much, do they? Linux Academy, they're adding features all the time. They're adding new things, just like not great things, too. Stuff to help you manage your time if you don't have a lot of time. And trust me, I fall into that category, and I still make it work. And stuff for teams, stuff that really help you deep dive to change your life, change your career. I mean, stuff that really it's resources that, oh, my God, I just, I would have so killed. And I absolutely, absolutely know, and I could have gotten my employer to pay for my Linux Academy coverage. I know I could have back then. I would have loved this resource. I had to go to community colleges, and I got hit and miss courses. This stuff is amazing. And the fact that they have availability selectors, so you can tell how much time you have. They have the nuggets. You can deep dive into a single topic. They have real-time machines they'll spin up, and you get to choose from 7-plus Linux distributions. The courseware and the virtual machines match that. They got stuff on OpenStack, Amazon Web Services. They got great stuff on Amazon Web Services, and they'll spin up the Amazon Web Services instances as you need them. If you're getting into DevOps, go check out their courseware. Ruby, PHP, yeah, Python as well. And, of course, like I said, those Red Hat courses, they really have some good stuff on Docker as well. And they're adding new things all the time, live streams, Q&As with the course, uh, with the instructors. And the community is stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting community members. Go to linuxacademy.com slash coders to get in on this. It's really great. linuxacademy.com slash coders. Big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. 
Okay, Mike, we got an email that came in from Brendan, and it's about uh, your language evaluation. And he says, hello, gentlemen. And he writes in, he says, during Mike's recent downtime, he mentioned playing with new languages and discussed playing with frameworks in the past. I'm curious. How does he go about evaluating new languages, frameworks, and tools for evaluation? I know Dave Thomas, wait, of Prague Prague Frame, oh, not of Wendy's, uh, likes to write markdown parsers and was curious if Mike had a semi-standard process he likes to use when playing around. Thanks for all the laughs and hope Mike's still feeling good. Brandon. Now, I wanted to ask you this too, Mike. Do you actually have a specific process or is it all of a sudden you feel an itch and you scratch it? And the reason I ask you that is because that was how I worked and for a really, really, really long time I felt kind of guilty. Like I didn't, I didn't have a regime so I wasn't doing it right. And I'm just kind of curious how you, how you take it and if you ever struggled with, it, with any of that. Uh, no, I don't have a, like a specific thing I do when I want to look at a new language. I try to you know, I try to read a lot about what's going on in the languages community, see what they're doing, and see how could this be either a replacement for or an add-on to what I'm already doing. Mm, yeah. Um, do I have, like, I don't have a set thing that I'll try to demo out. You think there would be um, value in that? Like, so that way you always kind of knew what to expect and, and kind of, like, had, like, you know, yeah, a you handle have, on, the, on the territory? How does this solve this problem? I guess the thing is I'm looking for languages that would solve different problems. Yeah, right? Because otherwise, if that's, that's, that's exactly the thing, because it, otherwise you don't need to go to another language. <laughs> well, right? it's the whole Ruby-Python thing, right? Why don't I particularly care to go to a bunch of Python? Well, because Ruby is an easy alternative to it, and they do many of the same things. Hmm, yeah. Um, did, you ever, did you ever feel bad for just sort of... Because another way to describe that is you're sort of being... Led by your whim. Well, I think we're all led by our whim, right? Like mo- most applications are just, you know, CRUD applications where you're reading and writing from a database, which you could do in just about any language. Um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I, I could just do everything in Java. I shared this on the show once before, but I, I one thing that really screwed with my head for a long time, and I don't know if it was meant to or not or what exactly, but one time I was told by a coworker, he's like, look, you got to... You know, you're working with Linux machines, you're working with Macs, you're working with Windows servers, uh, you're even spending a little time over there in the data center, like, uh, you know, you need to just, like, and his recommendation was, because uh, he was huge into, like, VB scripting stuff for server administration, he's like, you need to focus on Windows, and you just really need to just go get all your certs under, under Windows, you really need to focus in on this, and become an expert, and specialize, because that's where the money is at. And I was just, I know I've shared this before, but I was just like, I do not have any enjoyment in that. I, like, keep trying different things. I'll use Linux to solve this problem. You know, I'll use this Windows server here. I'll, whatever, not really, but, you know, whatever. And, and, and that became much more enjoyable for me. And over time, one of the things that actually did become my best employable skill was the fact that you could send Chris in and he'd manage to make your multi-platform network uh, uh, work together, which turned out to never go away. People, people thought that was going to go away. Um, but for a long time, I, I sort of was doing that and still feeling really bad while I was doing it. Like I was kicking myself along the way like, man, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be spending this time on this. I should probably be just doing this. Like I'll give you an example like, uh, oh, I need to spin up a server. Well, this time I decided I wanted to use uh, Apache and MySQL. I could do it under IIS and, and uh, Microsoft SQL a little bit quicker. But this time I decided I wanted to do it under Apache and MySQL. And as I was setting up, I would feel really guilty. Like I, even though I know how to do it under Windows, I should do this one more time. So I really have this process down. So I'm really an expert. And I would just sort of like ignore that and sort of, sort of say, shut up, shut up. And then after a while, I actually it wasn't until we started this show, I kind of realized, 
that uh, it was actually a benefit that I did all that stuff. And it worked out just fine. It was just a different way of learning. So I hope that helps, Brandon. And uh, thank you for the uh, info. You ready for a book recommendation, Mr. Dominic, for your face? Go ahead. Go ahead. It comes in from JC. He says, hello, Chris and Michael. I recently read a book titled The Software Craftsman. It was released only a few years ago, and it's pretty amazing. I think it ranks with some of the best programming books out there. Uh, he says, maybe it's just not that my opinion necessarily matters much. Well, we think it does, JC. Uh, he goes on to say that uh, I was curious you heard about it. Here's a great summary from a conference by the author. Uh, and I'm gonna, it's, So it's called The Software Craftsman, and he says there's a summary here that will open up full screen. It's going to open up and fill my browser window, so let's take a look. I have not seen it yet, but The Software Craftsman. Oh, here we go. Oh, 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 I see. It's, it gave us a link to the presentation. Oh, cool. So here's a link to the presentation on it. It's, uh, it's 49 minutes long uh, by Sandro. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes. So, so uh, Software Craftsman. Okay, there you go. So that's the book recommendation. Now, one more thing. I know you're boy, if, Mr. Dominic, you need to get some sleep after today's episode. I hear you yawning over there. I am exhausted, Chris. You know, it's your energy. It just drains me. My, wait, my energy drains you? Maybe yes. I pull it through Skype. I think you are. Across the country. What you should do is get hyped. Get hyped. Well, I was hyped all about the, the second coming of .NET. Yeah. And then they had to do this crap. Right. Yeah. Well, like, you know, you had a good week. You had a good week. You had a good run. I had one more. You know, it could be worse, Mike. It could be a games tester. And I know you've been. Told, I know this. We got an article here. I'll link to it. I like. I, I they put a video in here of uh, come here a little commercial. Like come test video games. Oh, hurry up, man! Boss is coming in, dude. Almost got it. Hey guys, finished testing that game yet? I've got another one I need designed. We just finished level three and need to tighten up the graphics a little bit. Great. Hey. I can't believe we got jobs doing this. I know. And my mom said I would never get anywhere with these games. Call Westwood College online. 800-914-8582. Wow. 914-8582. How great is that? So that's the dream, right? Go test video games, kids. And, you know, I've talked to, I've talked to young kids who think that's what they're going to do for a living is test video games. Oh, you're being set up for disappointment. <laughs> yeah, boy, isn't that? So that's basically, this article goes through a couple of different professional QA testers, careers. Uh, uh, you know, like they talk about what really it's like to test games, how buggy and unfun games can be to play, uh, all that kind of stuff. So they talk about, uh, they use an example of Grand Theft Auto, uh, one of Rockstar's giant open world games, as you know. QA testers had to divide and conquer. You would have to individual testers assigned to certain missions or tasks, mini games, etc. Said one person who helped test the game. Normally starting with big stuff and working down, so that do, uh, doing story missions in order, then heists, then side missions, and random characters until you moved on to testing the strip club and the prostitutes. <laughs> Uh, they say sometimes the testers said they'd also have to devote tons of time to granular parts of the game, like when Rockstar's designer asked a group of QA staff to test everything players could do with the game's automated taxi service. They quickly found that uh, taking to a taxi to a new mission would trigger the missions without properly disposing of the cab, leading to some amusing moments as taxis drove around and tried to back up during cutscenes. <laughs> so this is a good, it's a good long read uh, right here. Um, and you know, oh wow, oh wow, and they have some really great bugs. Oh, look at that! Here's one of a uh, Pac-Man. Uh, anyways, you have just enough time to read that before the next Coder Radio program, because Mike and I are recording uh, this week's Coder Radio or next week's Coder Radio, I should say, on Friday this week. Uh, we're doing, uh, we're making room for LinuxCon. I'll be down at LinuxCon Monday and Tuesday, 
And uh, you can find out more about that, meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Or just come to LinuxCon and say hi. It's going to be in Seattle. And uh, so we're making room for Monday. So we're doing this show Friday, 930 Pacific, 1230 Eastern, this Friday, uh, August 14th. So uh, you'll be here, right, Mr. Dominic? You'll, you'll, you'll make it. it will, your and, will. will your Android watch remind you? It will. It'll good. be like, the Moto, Yeah, good, 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 good. The Moto 360. Hey, Mr. Dominic, is there anything else you want to cover on this week's year program? Nope, that's it. All right, then, Mr. Dominic, I prescribe to you a nice massage, maybe a nap. Where would you like to send yes. people throughout the week? Or at least just, until Friday. Just go to Twitter, at Dumanuka. That's powerful. You know what? Follow me, Chris Les, new account, same handle. It's confusing. you got to refollow. Also, the network, at Jupiter Signal, news, updates, things like that. Oh, and please, do join us on Friday. We'd think that'd be great. Chat room, we'd love you guys. It'd be good to have a good showing. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. Don't forget coderadio.reddit.com. Got to remind you about that. Want your feedback, too. And also jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. We have a little less time to get your emails in. So if something's on your mind, please do send it in. Because we really only have until Thursday to get it into the show. Okay, now, again, thanks for tuning in. See you right back here, Friday. <laughs>